All right. Well, we just got through the trade deadline and obviously not not an eventful trade deadline for the Wizards, a team that was expected to be pretty active in the market, pretty active sellers, potentially the most active selling team in the market. Uh, and they just they just flat out didn't do much. They made a singular trade on a day that I expected a minimum of three trades to be made. Uh, and that trade was, you know, sending out probably one of their better players, definitely their best defender this season, the only guy that was protecting the rim. And obviously it's, you know, it is disappointing, I guess, considering what I thought and what many fans thought would happen at this deadline. But I mean, nonetheless, you know, you just got to understand where the front office is coming from and try to rationalize it. And that's what I'm going to try to do in this episode, as I tend to do, just try to put a more optimistic spin on it, you know, having, you know, a couple hours to kind of sit on it and, and, you know, reassess why we did the things we did or, or the lack thereof. So that's what I'm going to try to do in this episode, just kind of rectify those decisions and hope that, you know, they help us in the long run. So again, in case you missed it, the Wizards made one trade yesterday. They traded uh, center Daniel Gafford, who was acquired in 2020 from the Chicago Bulls for Troy Brown Jr. and Mo Wagner. Uh, he came in here and, and he played lights out for the last three years in D.C., um, but it got to the point where you didn't know if he was going to fit this timeline. Um, you could probably get the most value you could from him with you know, not only him having the best year of his career, but a ton of teams needing uh center depth and you know you you knew you could get a first round pick at least for gaffer and some salary filler and that's exactly what they did um i'm sure going into the deadline michael winger and will dawkins had their asking price and it seems like they were pretty stubborn on that and for gaff it was at least a first round pick and and the dallas mavericks came in and they offered they offered that first round pick and and i guess the wizards just kind of sat there and said look do we really see gafford here after this contract is up and, and I guess they did. And I guess they figured, you know, there's some decent centered prospects, especially at the top of this draft that they would like to bring in and give ample minutes to. And, and I'm sure they were also thinking, you know, we got to get younger. Um, we also have to, you know, gain more draft capital as much as we can. So I understand that. And, and here's a couple of things that I'm going to say to rationalize why the Wizards decided to make this move now. Um, despite Gaffer being just 25, you know, a, a guy that could have been here throughout the rebuild. Um, number one is it, when you're a, a rebuilding team, yes, guys are going to look great on your team, but when you go to the general scope of the league, how good are they really? And and Daniel Gafford, for as good as he was on the Wizards, um, I'm sure he looked that way because everyone else on the team couldn't defend a park car. Nobody tried on defense but Daniel Gafford. Apart from, I guess, Bilal and Denny, nobody nobody actually cares. Um, so Daniel Gafford, I mean, and it's not like he doesn't give maximum effort every game because he does, but everything's filtered to him at the rim, and he's blocking shots, and, and he's contesting, and he's getting rebounds and, and throwing down lobs, and he's doing literally everything for this team on defense. And then parlaying that with being the most efficient player, I think he's shooting 70-plus percent from the field, best field goal percentage in the league. So he's efficient on that end. Um, I just, I really, I really think that that he has provided, you know, he's provided that 
that energy on both sides. And look, if you put them on, on a lot of the other teams in the league, I, I would probably say about 25 to 26, he's not starting. He's the backup big. And and you kind of have to, you know, take a step back from, you know, being so caught up in the world of the Wizards and reassess, you know, where Daniel Gafford fits in terms of the grand scheme of the league. And although he he is definitely the starter on on a Wizards team that has no depth in the front court, on on most teams he's not. And if you were if you were to tell me that you can get a first round pick for a guy that on most teams would be a backup, uh, that's that's pretty good value, and that's probably the most value you can get. So that's that's kind of one way I'm I'm choosing to rationalize this and understand why the Wizards made this move. Um, another is, and I I got to give credit where it's due. I didn't even think about this, but Josh Robbins of the Athletic. Um, he wrote an unbelievable article um, about why the Wizards did what they did. Um, and, and he made the point that, look, it clears cap space for the future because you got Corey Kispert and his extension coming up. I think I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's extension eligible next um, like this offseason, um, being that he's going to be entering his fourth season in the NBA. I'm pretty sure he's extension eligible. Um, the same thing we saw with Denny this offseason and we we eventually beat that deadline and got his extension done but i think that's a great point from josh it's you clear out 13 million dollars pretty much for the for this year and the next two years after that and Corey kispert's gonna probably i would assume be making that like 15 to 17 you know 15 to 18 million dollar range per year i mean he's a shooter that has improved his defense this this season quite a bit um, and, and he can put the ball on the deck. He's so much more than a shooter now. And I think that was the kind of the concern when you, when you drafted him, the lack of, of athleticism that people thought, um, you know, is he just going to be a shooter like a JJ Redick? How good can he be? But he, he's a great driver. He's the best cutter on the league. He's one of the best finishers, uh, through contact and in the paint on the team. And that's just through, you know, him putting the work in and also through the development uh, team for the wizards. So, I think Josh makes an excellent point. Clearing that cap space for Gaffer not only, you know, uh, brings back a first round pick, but it also clears up cap space in the future to bring a guy like Corey back on a nice 15 to 17 million dollar deal per year. Uh, additionally, th- those are those are two things that I, I kind of enjoy. And obviously, the third the third thing is, I mean, Holmes, I, there's not much to really say. I mean, he's an energy guy. Uh, you know, he can come off the bench and, and kind of be like that Montrez Harrell bruiser type center. But the thing with him and Trez is they're not that tall. They're pretty undersized for their position. They're strong, but they're pretty undersized. And I think he can use his quickness against a lot of the, the, the bulkier bigs. But, you know, I, I view him more as a four. I, I prefer to play him against the, you know, with a seven plus footer with a rim protector because I don't think he is that rim protector. You know, he didn't play much in that rotation with the Kings. And this is how bad the Wizards are. I doubt he starts. I think Bagley starts. But there's a there's a chance he comes into Washington and starts. So that just shows you, you know, a team like the Kings that's sixth in the West has a guy that isn't even playing in their center rotation. And he can come to the Wizards and possibly start. Just shows how bad our roster is compared to the rest of the league. But the third thing is obviously that first-round pick that the Wizards got for Rashawn Holmes, uh, with Rashawn Holmes in the Gafford trade. And this pick was very confusing for a lot of people on Wizards Twitter. I'm not going to lie. It took me a minute to understand it, but I finally do now. And and if you want to go to my Twitter and and look at my tweets as well, I feel like I tweeted it out in the most understandable way possible. But essentially, OKC, I think OKC and Dallas swapped 2028 
first round picks and then had OKC as a part of that deal send their first round pick one um one of their first round picks this year to Washington. The second round the, the first round pick is the least second least favorable, sorry. The OKC pick in 2024 is the second least favorable pick that they have of the four picks they have. OKC currently owns their own pick. They currently own the Clippers pick. They own a Utah pick that's, I believe, top 10 protected. And then also a Toronto pick that's top four protected. So I think I think the way that I would probably you know say this to make it most sense um, make it make sense is the Wizards are going to get the better of the Clippers and the Thunder picks in the first round. So right now the Thunder are, I think, at 27 and the Clippers are at 25. That would mean that Washington is picking 25 and they get the Clippers pick. Um, now, if somehow, some way the Clippers completely collapse and fall apart and the Jazz go on a huge run, and let's say the Clippers are worse than the Jazz, then the Wizards would get the Jazz pick. But that's not going to happen. It's between the Thunder and the Clippers, and whoever's pick is higher, that's where the Wizards will be selecting. So it's going to be in that 22 to 28 range. You got you to gotta understand, I think both teams will likely make the second round. Uh, and then from there, only one of them can make the NBA Finals, and the other one, at, at you know, worst, could make the Western Conference Finals if they play each other. So that would put one of them at, you know, 29 or 30 if they're in the finals, and the other would be at 27 or 28, meaning the lowest the Wizards could pick with this election would be 28. And honestly, I would put the highest at around 22. I think both teams definitely make that uh, second round and they make the final eight. So the Wizards are probably going to have a top three pick, I hope, based on the lottery, and hopefully a pick between that 22 to 28 range, which is great. I mean, the draft class isn't that deep, but one thing I will say is people are considering the 23rd pick as the same exact value as the 11th pick because you know there's 10 guys that are pretty good and and no one really stands out from that group but after that you know it's kind of just based on who do I like compared to who everyone else likes like I'm sure a team like the Wizards at 25 probably like a guy that could be drafted you know they think should be drafted at 12 and it could fall to them very well 25 because other teams don't rate him like that that's why this weak draft class can kind of benefit the teams in that late 20s range so you know even though the pick isn't going to be in the lottery, I still think it is, you know, a, a good trade and, and it's the best return you could have gotten for Gafford. So, you know, there's not really much else to say about the Gaff move. You know, I didn't like it at the beginning. I didn't honestly think he was going to get moved. But, you know, after reflecting on it, after reading Josh Robbins' you know, really nice uh, article in The Athletic, I'm kind of at, at ease with it. Um, obviously, it sucks to see Gafford go. I went, I covered, I've covered three Wizards games in total this season in person. Um, and I got to talk to Gaff post game in two of those. Uh, he is, and don't get me wrong, every Wizards player has been very nice, but Gafford is just so genuine in his answers, um, really gives you the time of day, really, you know, engages with the media and engages with the fans. If you've seen, you know, he does that routine every game where he takes a young fan from the stands to throw him a lob to end his warm up. Um, does a lot of, did a lot of stuff with the community as well. So I just want to shout out. Uh, Gafford for just being a great human being apart from, you know, being a great player. And he's going to be definitely missed not only, you know, amongst the Wizards fans, but in the, in the DC community as well, wishing obviously him nothing but the best in Dallas. Um, hopefully Holmes comes in here and, and you know, balls out because he's going to pick up that $13 million player option for next year. It would be stupid not to, nobody's even going to pay him, you know, a fourth of that in free agency. So he'll be on the books for next year and that's okay. Cause the Wizards have un unlimited cap space pretty much, but 
you know, that is, that's kind of where I'm at with the gaff trade. You know, didn't think it would happen, but I'm kind of at ease now. Moving on to the trades that didn't happen, and that's Tyus Jones, who, if you, if you told me that I could throw my life savings on the fact that either one of Tyus Jones, Landry Shamrett, or Delon Wright got moved yesterday, I would have accepted. I would have been completely down for for doing that because I was so certain that you know at least one of those guys would be moved for a couple seconds, maybe even for one second round pick. But looking back, I I think I can understand a little bit about why Winger and Dawkins did it, and I think the only the only really rational answer to why they didn't dump Tyus for you know I'm sure the two or three plus second round picks they could have gotten is because they view him as a a genuine piece of this team's future. And look, Jones is only 28 years old. He's not ancient. He's not that old. He's the same age as Kuzma. Um, But I think they really like not only, like Josh Robbins mentioned, his veteran leadership, you know, the poise he shows in the backcourt, you know, the, the game management, the assist to turnover ratio. I like I said before the trade deadline, I said if we trade Tyus Jones, we're gonna miss watching him play because, you know, since Russell Westbrook, he's by far and away the best point guard we've had in DC. Um possibly the smartest. Uh, you know, he doesn't turn the ball over, he game manages perfectly. The only issue is just it's the defense. And I don't think he's a bad defender, it's the size. I when you're when you're six foot in a league filled with a bunch of six five and above guys. It's difficult to defend. That's just, you know, been the epidemic amongst small point guards the you know, for eternity. Um, and it especially sucks when you're when you're pairing him in a backcourt with Jordan Poole, who I mean, from the beginning is, you know, not that tall. I think he's six three, uh, or six four, but he also isn't a good defender. He's been playing better defense as of late, but still, you know, skill wise, he's not great on that end. So when you pair that smaller backcourt and combine it with, you know, terrible team defense around it it i i just i don't foresee it really working with defense and maybe maybe brian keep is the coach and he unlocks that or maybe a new coach comes in and he you know finds a way to to make tyus work on defense if we bring him back but i just think like all of the pros to moving tyus you know the picks um the salary fillers maybe a young player in return opening up that log jam a guard for guys like and maybe johnny davis to play those were all positives, and and the only positive I can see with keeping Jones is the fact that we're going to resign him in the off season, and we we genuinely believe that. And I think Tyus, if the money's right, will resign in DC because we are we have you know ample cap space to make it work on like a two year, three year deal. And I think it's also the only place he could go in the league where he'll start. Um, you know, a team like the Pistons and then like the the, the Hornets, they're not going to pay him money to come into their rebuilds, but the Wizards already have him and they like him. So, you know, I think it's the the best chance for him to start. And I think if the Wizards want him, which it seems like they do, um, he'll be back. So I think if I had to make a prediction for my, my first offseason prediction, it's that Tyus Jones resigns with the Wizards. It just, it doesn't make sense if the Wizards let him walk because they could have gotten, they could have gotten, a, you know, a decent return for Tyus and, and they opted to keep him, um, you know, not to to win games or do anything. They're nine and forty one. Like they're terrible. They're not going anywhere this year. So I think keeping him, um, they keep his bird rights as well, meaning that they can match any deal that anybody makes. Think about you know when Otto Porter was a free agent in twenty sixteen or seventeen, and 
the Nets sign him to a super, you know, a max deal and, and the Wizards match that. That's essentially what they can do with Tyus. They have his bird rights. So whoever offers him a contract, the Wizards can match that that offer sheet and, and bring him back to D.C. So keeping his bird rights is obviously another part of, of not trading him. So all the signs, you know, just not trading him makes makes so much sense if they're going to resign him. And, and if they don't resign him, then it makes no sense. So I... Like I said, I think Tyus Jones is back next year, and that's kind of my one of my biggest takeaways from this deadline. Um, moving moving on, the fact that they didn't trade DeLon Wright is a lot more peculiar than Jones because DeLon's thirty one. Again, he's not he's not ancient. He's not that that old, but he doesn't fit the timeline, and he's at a position where the Wizards kind of have some some emerging players, some younger guys that probably need to see more minutes next year. And I don't know if DeLon Wright re-signing really helps those guys or helps the Wizards rebuild as a whole. Um, I think there's there's definitely contending teams that would have paid you at least a second for Tyus Jones. I mean, I think backup point guards were the number one most traded position of all yesterday um, at the deadline. We saw so many point guards go, and the Wizards didn't trade any of them. So I was very, I was perplexed, if I can use a nice vocab word. I was, I was very, you know, perplexed at the fact that they didn't trade DeLon. I mean, Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype reported yesterday that DeLon was probably, you know, his best bet to get traded. That's who he thought the, you know, the biggest trade asset the Wizards, you know, were likely to move on from was. And they decided to, to hold on to him. And, and look, a positive you can spin out of that is DeLon's been around the league. He's a great veteran, can lead the team. I'm sure a lot of people on the team, you know, respect him and like him. And hopefully, you know, he can just kind of be there as a, you know, a guy that helps Bilal, um, Jared Butler Jr., Johnny Davis, you know, just some of the younger guards and, and just kind of shows them the way. Because if I could get a guard younger, than, much, much younger than DeLon in the draft that defends the way he does, um, that would be ideal. And so I, as much as I would have preferred to obviously move on for, from DeLon, I, I, I don't get it as much as Tyus, like I said, I think, you know, literally anything you could have gotten for him because it would have opened up more minutes for Bilal and it also would have gotten you back some draft capital. But nonetheless, I I, I guess they, they think, you know, they don't want to just, you know, sell out. Maybe they were asking for multiple seconds and they're like, if we're not going to get that, we're not going to move them. I don't know. Um, that one's a little head scratching and that one's definitely pretty difficult to understand. Um, and, and look, I'll move on right now to Landry Shamit because I want to talk about him for a second. Um, I, I even said before the deadline, like why, like moving on from Landry might not be, you know, the best decision because look, he's only 26 years old. He's only in his fifth year in the league. He's shown that he can contribute off the bench as a volume shooter and a really good on ball perimeter defender. Why do you have to move him now? I mean, he's under contract for next year. It's a player option or a team option. So I guess if you know, you don't see a lot of things you like to end the season, you can, you know, let him go and not pay him, cut your losses. Or you could pick up his $11 million option because you have unlimited cap space and keep him here. I mean, he's 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 not old. Like, like guys around that 25 to 27-year-old range don't necessarily have to be moved in the beginning of a rebuild. He, I'm more than fine with Landry Shamit staying for next season. And then if Landry Shamit plays well next season, you can flip him at that deadline if you don't feel like he's a part of this rebuild for the future. Um, I think I'm okay with the fact that we didn't trade Shamit way more than I'm okay with the fact that we didn't trade DeLon. Um, and age is definitely a factor, that five-year difference. 
Um, shooting is definitely a factor, but I just I, I, I can rationalize not moving on from Shamit a lot more. And we didn't hear anything, honestly, about Shamit, any any murmurs or rumors. So that could either mean that the Wizards had no intention of moving him. They really think that picking up his option is the best route, which is understandable. Or it could also mean that, you know, no one really valued him. No one wanted to, you know, take on that $11 million contract for, you know, a guy that could shoot the ball, you know, pretty well and, and I get and defend decently. I, I feel like that, that type of, of player is the exact guy contenders want. And it's the reason Shamit's been bumped around from contender to ten, contender pretty much every offseason and every trade deadline, apart from, you know, getting traded to the Wizards because they suck. But I think I can rationalize Shamit not getting moved way more than the line. And I can rationalize um, Tyus Jones not getting um, – I can rationalize Shamit obviously not getting moved more than, than Tyus Jones as well. But, you know, nonetheless, it was just a quiet rebuild – or sorry, a quiet deadline. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, and that that brings me to the final part of this, of this pod, and that's Kuz. There was an interesting report from Josh Robbins of The Athletic this morning – Basically detailing how that how, how the Wizards were very close to accepting a deal for Kyle Kuzma. Uh, Josh said that his sources wouldn't tell him specifically where, you know, where Kuzma was about to land. But he said based on context clues, he could infer that it was probably the Mavericks. And that's because there are early reports, I think, by Mark Stein uh, as well, that the Mavs and the Wizards had been in, you know, pretty good trade talks about Kuzma and those kind of fell apart. They couldn't, you know, meet middle ground on the compensation for Kuz. So that's why the Mavericks ultimately, you know, switched over um, to Gafford and, and, you know, really had their focus honed in on, on bringing Gaff to Dallas and, you know, making some other trades. They got PJ Washington as well from Charlotte. So, you know, the Mavs had a pretty good deadline, but, I think they really wanted Kuz. They wanted that third kind of volume score, that shooter to stretch the floor around Luka, some size, um, you know, to maybe defend. Because I know the Mavericks have, have had trouble all season defending power forwards. So, you know, bringing in a guy like Kuz could kind of help with that size. But ultimately, they shifted their intentions, I would assume, because the Wizards' asking price of multiple first-round picks um, was probably very steep. And I'm sure the Wizards wanted guys like Jaden Hardy in the deal as well. And, uh, you know, on top of guys like probably Rashawn Holmes and, and Kleber or someone like that to, you know, match salaries with Kuz, who's making 25 this year. Um, but it does signal that the Wizards are way more, uh, you know, way more open to moving Kyle than than obviously some of the other pieces on this team. Um, because I, obviously I, I think they said they dangled Denny out there. I'm sure they took calls on Corey and, and other guys, but I, I never really thought that was a possibility. But but the fact that they were apparently close, reportedly close to moving Kuz, uh, that that definitely signals something to me. That signals if a team gets desperate this offseason, uh, you know, it could be a team like the Kings, honestly. I think that's just – I feel like it's, it's the worst-kept secret in the league that Kyle Kuzma is going to get traded to the Kings. They already basically had a trade-in for him before Russ got moved uh, to Washington and Kuz got sent or where Russ got moved from Washington to LA and Kuz got sent to the Wizards, they had a, a deal in place to send Kyle to Sacramento. Uh, that fell apart. Uh, the, Kuz have, the, the Kings have always coveted Kuzma. They were in trade talks for Kuzma, you know, at the trade deadline. I think Kuz took a meeting with them in free agency last offseason. The Kings ran it back this year, obviously a year after they got the two seed, but were bounced in the first round. 
and made pretty much no deadline moves. I think their only move was they got cash in return for taking on Robin Lopez's contract. So, you know, standing pat at the deadline for the Kings is a bold move, especially when you're not having a season like last year. I think they're fifth or sixth in the West. So if the Kings, you know, go in the first round and they lose again, they really need to, to do something because they didn't they didn't get Levine, they didn't get Siakam, and they could get Kuzma. And I think you you definitely want to keep an eye out for that in the offseason, um, you know, especially because Kuz has a, a descending value contract. So even if he's not moved next year, I I would be probably 80% to 90% sure when that contract gets below $20 million, and it's probably one of the best value contracts in the league, then you consider moving on from him. And I think that's when they would probably strike if he's not moved by then. But it does signal that, you know, they don't really value him as a cornerstone of this rebuild because if you if you're really that close to trading, obviously the best player on your team at the moment, you know, this early into the rebuild, I don't really think you're serious about building, you know, around Kyle. And I think Kuz probably realizes that, you know, he's 28 by the time, you know, he's 31 or 32, that's probably when the Wizards will be really good. Do you really want to waste the the prime years of your career, you know, losing game after game after game after game. I don't know. So I think it might be, you know, beneficial for both sides if they move on at some point in the near future. Uh, it would help the Wizards bottom out, certainly, and it would also help Kuzma hopefully get another ring. So both both parties would win. But yeah, I mean it is it is crazy that that the Wizards um were even that close to trading to trading Kuzma. Um, and it's also even crazier that the Wizards made one singular deal and that deal didn't include any of their point guards or, you know, or any of their older veteran players. So, you know, that's that's going to do it for for this episode. You know, just to recap, I think moving on from Daniel Gafford, as much as it sucks as a fan and, and personally, it makes sense uh, from from both perspectives. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm happy to see Gaff, you know, be on a contender, play in the playoffs. Um, hopefully go get that ring with Dallas. But I also understand and, and am content with the fact that the Wizards are going to be drafting in that 22 to 28 range in the lot in the um the draft on top of having, um, you know, hopefully a top five, at least first round pick. Um, And then, you know, you take that with, OK, we swap salaries with Holmes. He has one less year on his deal so we can clear some cap space for the 2025-26 offseason. If we really consider, you know, all right, let's go. We think our roster is getting better now. Maybe we can sign some free agents. And additionally, like Josh Robbins so perfectly mentioned, the Wizards can also bring in, um, get Corey Kispert signed to an extension much easier next year with the uh, cap space cleared up from Gafford being traded. So, like I said, I'm fine with the Gaff trade now. Didn't really like it at the time, but looking at the pick that we got, looking at that first round pick, um, I will I will take that as the probably the best return we could have gotten for a guy that probably doesn't start on you know probably twenty five to twenty six maybe even more of the teams in the league at center would have preferred to trade Tyus but I understand keeping him you know if we resign him in the off season I'm not going to be mad I like I said I enjoy watching Tyus Jones great person great player seems like a great leader great teammate my only concern is that the defense has been horrible and you know. Having a six-five point guard leading that unit doesn't necessarily help, um, you know, especially paired with a guy like Jordan Poole, who isn't a great defender and isn't that big as well at six-three or six-four. Delon Wright, I think, definitely should have been moved. That's the most, you know, peculiar non-move of the deadline from the Wizards. I think a second-round pick could have definitely been attained from a team like 
the Bucks, you know, even a team like the Kings, you know, some team that was just like, all right, here's a second round pick. We we really like Delon and, and think he can help here. That was that was confusing, but I do understand keeping Shaman, and I honestly would understand keeping him through next season as well, and maybe looking for a deal next deadline when you know hopefully his market is a little better. Hopefully he builds that value and that stock up a little more. But at the end of the day, I asked Wizards fans on Twitter um, after the deadline when you know cooler heads did not prevail, what what you would give this this deadline, um, you know, grading wise and. You guys, you guys voted a lot. There were almost thirteen hundred votes. Um, a A was the worst with three percent. Honestly, if you voted A for the deadline, I'd like to talk to you. I just like, I like, you know, talking to people that I might not understand where they're coming from. So maybe I can learn. You know, why do you think this is a good deadline? Um, eighteen percent said B, a whopping forty four percent, and the and the most percent said C, and then D slash F got thirty five percent. So it's safe to say that nearly 80% of all Wizards fans were disappointed in this deadline. The the other half, you know, not being happy with it, but also not being that disappointed. Obviously, when you enter a deadline expecting trades and trades and trades and trades and bringing back a lot of capital, when you make one trade and you send out probably one of your most exciting players, probably the fan favorite player amongst the most Wizards fans, um, and you only get back, you know, first round pick and that's all the compensation you get for all these veteran players. Obviously, it's not ideal. And the fact that Bilal is not going to start probably after the deadline, and we're going to keep running back the same starting five, you know, minus Gaff and plus Bagley, it's going to get stale pretty soon, especially when you're just losing and losing and losing and losing. And there's no excitement. You know, there's no young guy that you're really intrigued about seeing. It's just a bunch of veterans that likely aren't going to be here, you know. So as much as I, you know, try to be optimistic and I try to rationalize it in this episode, um, I I would probably put it in that, you know, C plus to B minus range. I, I thought they could have do, done a lot more. I thought, you know, they could have gotten a lot more second round picks. And and look, I'm not Michael Winger and Will Dawkins. I don't know what their goal is. I, I don't know, you know, what offers they were getting. But from an outside perspective and based on the reports I've seen, I think they could have gotten a lot more, a lot more draft capital and compensation for some of the veterans on their team. So that's why I'd have it around a, a C plus or B minus. But Again, that's going to do it for this episode. Appreciate you for listening. Um, if you go on my Twitter, I did a Twitter spaces for about two hours last night. Had a lot, probably over 20 to 25 really good callers, really knowledgeable, passionate Wizards fans. They gave their takes. I gave my takes as well. So if you literally go to my Twitter, at Greg Finberg, you can watch that full thing back. It's all recorded. Um, in addition, obviously, I appreciate everyone for listening to this episode. Like I said, um, it's going to get pretty tough from here on out. Um, you know, not only are the Wizards going to lose a lot of these remaining 32 games, I'm sure, you know, guys like Kuz and and, and Poole and, and Tyus, they might be shut down with a couple games remaining. Um, you know, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be tough to, you know, get up every day for these games, I'm sure for the players, but obviously for fans as well, because there's just no excitement around the league, or, or especially around this team. You know, you, you never want to root against your team, but there's no incentive to win games now. You got, you know, four teams that are pretty much fighting for those bottom three spots. And with Charlotte only a game behind the Wizards um, for that top three spot, you know, every game matters. And you hate rooting against your team, but at some point you got you to gotta understand it's the best thing, you know, for them and for this rebuild to get as high of a pick as possible, especially when the draft class isn't that good. So, again, going to be tough to watch these games, but, you know, this is the dog days of the rebuild. And 
you know, if you're here now and you're watching, you know, these games, and if you watched all 82 by the end of the season, like I will, um, it's just going to make, uh, you know, when the Wizards are good, that much sweeter and that much better um, because you were there during these tough times. So, again, that's going to do it for this episode. I appreciate you all for listening. Um, and go Wiz.